Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog of Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. Hello, I'm Scott Postman, your host, and I'm joined by Joffrey Swader, academic advisor and co-host of our podcast. And Joffrey, today we're going to talk about logic and Latin. Now we're talking about classical education, what it is and why we study certain things. And we're going to focus indeed yeah, on on logic and Latin, the double L's, the double L's. There you go. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to uh, make a, an assertion here that logic and Latin, and we're playing with this a little bit, but logic and Latin are formative to our growing up into Christ. Wow. That's what a, a statement, statement big. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now we're not going to, we're not saying they're necessary, right? Right. But we, we're saying they, they, can and even should be formative. So what we're what we're getting at here is the idea of classical education has a goal, right? And that goal is to build up virtue and wisdom um, so that we can enjoy and love God right. and, and, and honor him in this life. And as we were talking about this uh, in, in preparation for the show, um, a certain passage from Ephesians came to mind. I wonder if you would read that for us. Yeah. So... When we get to Ephesians 4, uh, Paul says, and he gave, uh, this is verse 11, he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, we, uh, one, one of our, our common hobby horses is the reminder, uh, the, the defense of the idea that the education of our children is the raising of our children. Yeah. There's, no, there's no separation. And, you know, of course, then that continues on into adult life when you, you don't have your parents over you. You continue to be sanctified. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's fair to, to view education as part of what you, of what you are doing um, to assist in the sanctification and growth, the spiritual growth of your child. Yeah, and what we were just reading about is what, the gifts that God gave to the church and, you know, the raising of our children, the paideia and, and uh, the nurture and admonition of the Lord uh, belongs to the family, health and welfare and education you know, yeah. belongs to the family, but God's given gifts as well. Right. And, you know, and, and those gifts language and particularly when we talk about Latin logic, you know, and, and we could include, if we wanted to, we could talk about English and literature and, and yes. everything else. But, you know, one of the things this touches on then is, when people think of classical education and we're classical educators and you know, by that we mean more than pedagogy. Mm -hmm. uh, although we don't want to get into the messy conversation of some sort of a classical canon, right? Right. There is a reason that there are certain recurring works and uh, that there are recurring subjects or topics of study. Right. Yeah. I, I like the word loose canon. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. That's wonderful. I'm going to use that. So there's a loose cannon out there. Well, and, and logic is, uh, is, uh, you know, maybe <laughs> the, the, a firmer cannon, but you know, cause it's just so, you know, ubiquitous across you yeah. know, classical studies, particularly early on. Uh, but yeah, so why is logic always there when we're talking about 
classical education? Yeah, that's a really good question. So when we think about logic, what we're learning is how to decipher between what is true and what is false, right? Mm. And sometimes we, we do that through, I mean, there's tools like the square of opposition and syllogisms and learning the names of fallacies and those kinds of things in, uh, you know, in logic. But really what we're, what we're teaching children to do is discern between what is true and what is false. Yeah. And a lot of times falsehoods hide Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and sometimes they hide in the media, you know, sometimes they, they hide in, in, you know, on the internet, sometimes falsehoods hide in, you know, um, manipulative language and all play, all kinds of places that falsehoods hide, even in our own self-deception sometimes. Right? right. So we begin to think about things in a way that we really shouldn't, um, you know, so in any case, logic is super formative and it's foundational to a good education. Well, what is logic like i mean there's a capital l in there you can hear it mm-hmm. <laughs> right so when we're talking about what is this what does a, a, a minuscule l sound like logic logic but this okay. is logic, logic. <laughs> so uh what is logic uh when when studied in in a classical way and you know with the objective of being able to discern uh the the true from the false even uh the good from the bad and the beautiful from the ugly yeah, well, I'll start with a definition that we'll talk about, you know, the application there. But um, Hugh of St. Victor uses this. He says that logic is the dialectic um, or the logic of a subject understood as the clear-sighted argument which separates the true from the false. So mm-hmm. we, we kind of mentioned that already. Yep. Um, but when we get into the actual study of it as a subject, as a, as a discipline, what we're doing is learning to take the grammar, those um, components that we've learned of language, of literature, of math, of, of everything, and putting them together in a rational order. How do we use our ration or, you know, ratio? Right. You know, I think one of the most important things in that definition that you mentioned was of a subject. Yeah. Right. So, you know, when you study Latin as a subject and when you study logic <laughs> as a subject, it's going to inform how you read, how you interact with every other subject. That's right. And and I think that's one of the things in pedagogy sometimes people get confused. You know, is logic one of the subjects that we we study? Yes. Is does logic, you know, is is logic something you apply to all your subjects? Yes. Right. <laughs> so so we want to be careful when we're we're talking about that, but every subject has a logic to it, right? So maybe we think of writing, you know, you've got a, a grammar, you've got, you know, parts of speech, you've got the the language, um, and then we want to begin to apply those in certain ways so that they are communicating uh, what we want to communicate, which is the rhetoric. And so you can actually see a progression very simply in writing, uh, but that applies to everything. Right. And then when you're studying logic uh, as a subject, there uh, is for a time at least something of a mathematical approach mm-hmm. uh but then you know that that expands out in, into something that's more uh that's more linguistic mm-hmm. uh that's more integrated and ultimately that's that's our goal with every subject is to make it a part of your being and logic with that capital l uh can have one of the most fundamental impacts on who you are so you're 13 years old you study logic then when you're 52 reading a newspaper or talking to your boss, that's still in there. And it has been influencing your thought and your speech ever since. Yeah. And what you were just talking about, how, how that should influence every part of us. And I sort of have a, um, you know, in my own personal experience, 
I don't know you would call it a confession, but <laughs> I, I didn't study Latin in high school. I went to public school. Are you trying I, to say logic? Did you just do did what I, I did? I just did. Yeah. Did I just say it's Latin? That double L is getting us. <laughs> we, we made a mistake here, audience. <laughs> All right. This is a <laughs> So you didn't logic. study logic formally. <laughs> I didn't study, study logic formally. And then when I went to college and started studying, I studied logic in college. And all of a sudden begin to question things that I believed and the way that I thought about things because I didn't have a, you know, a formula or a, or a way of thinking about things. And when I say a formula, I don't mean artificial, but I mean a way of putting together what is actually true and, and how you can build these thoughts upon each other and how you can't. Right. I mean, fallen man is neither uh, innately rational or innately poetic. Mm-hmm. Fallen man can't handle knowledge no right there there are little vestigial gifts that we have but it 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 may seem uh you know in in the light of the gospel and you you grow up in church and you know you're kind of living your life you just sort of take for granted the fact that you could have a clear thought (laughs) but that's not you know that's not how people are made it has to be and even the pagans recognize this the ability to think clearly has to be trained it it is a training and sometimes when i see young people or i talk to young people and they start telling you things in your in your just being patient and kind and, you know, trying not to let it show on your face. You're like, <laughs> you have no idea what you're talking about because they haven't been trained in logic. You know, So think- students taking Mr. Postma's classes this <laughs> fall, if he looks extraordinarily patient, know that's what he's thinking. <laughs> well, one of my favorites in logic uh-huh. uh, is the fallacies uh, and studying some of the fallacies. Yes. And, you know, so um, I remember uh, one of the first ones was, the no Scotsman, no true Scotsman Uh fallacy, right? And it was from a particular denominational thinking who built a doctrine on, well, Jesus wouldn't do this. So therefore we have to interpret these verses to mean this because Uh Jesus would never do that. Right. And, and so, and that no true Scotsman, you know, basically the, the fallacy, if you're not aware of it, basically says, well, that couldn't have happened or he couldn't have done that because no true Scotsman really would do that. Right. right. You know, and so it's a kind of fallacy. It's a way of justifying error um, yes. by basing on a, a presupposition that a particular person wouldn't do a certain thing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's basically a genetic fallacy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a, a very fun uh, little book called The Fallacy Detective. Uh, it's by Nathaniel Bluedorn and Hans Bluedorn. It's quite commonly used across mm. uh, across the the homeschooling world and the classical education world. But here's a little conversation uh, that I'll read to you. Bert says, "Mr. Gritches, why do you always wear suspenders and never a belt?" Mr. Gritches says, "Because belts were developed in the military centuries ago and were used by soldiers. <laughs> Since the military is evil and belts come from the military, I can't wear a belt." <laughs> You know, and it's just the number of, of assumptions in there is uh, kind of kind of astounding. But you know, it's it's that idea, right? That you yeah. just uh, just gloss right over, mm-hmm. and you know, so you you assign the problem to where it comes from. And, and there are a lot of fun variations on that. Oh, there are tons, and 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 that's just one example. I mean, you've got the red herrings and and yeah. you know all, all sorts of you know distraction fallacies, um, and uh, a variety of syllogistic you yeah. know fallacies. And, you know, and, and one of the things I like about uh, you know the 
the the current takes on on the study of logic. You know, it, it's rigorous, it's regimented, of course, because the study of logic. But then you have fun fun materials like this book, The Fallacy Detective, mm-hmm. or there's another one out there that uses you know like it's, it's a bestiary yeah, yeah. of logical fallacies, yeah. and you know it's kind of one it's it's kind of fun because usually when you're studying logic. You're just moving out of that phase where you memorize the names of all the dinosaurs or of all the comic book heroes, and you know there. So the way the what it was for me was that uh, I I knew all the I, I knew all the details about World War II planes mm. down to down to being able to tell you what factory built the engines. Wow! Right, and that, <laughs> which that's, is that's ridiculous, impressive. and I don't remember any of that. <laughs> but you're, you're kind of moving out of that phase into actually being able to put that sort of thing to use. Yes. Right. Uh, and so it's, it's actually, I think really smart uh, of, of works like the bestiary or the fallacy detective to sort of take that energy of categorizing and labeling and mm. naming and memorizing and then, and move it into actually thinking. Right. Yeah. And, and, and applying these, these things to our, our real life. And so that's a fun way of doing it, you know, in, in some of these examples that you've given, but I think this is, you know, we get back to that original, you know, statement that if we don't learn, even if we don't learn it formally, you know, which is, I think is a really good idea, um, learning how to detect fallacies, learning how these things line up, it's essential for us to grow up yes. into the the maturity that we need to be in Christ, especially in a world that's full of deceit. Right. You know, yeah, I think you are, you are absolutely right to, to value studying logic uh, on its own, but also to point out that really it's any good education is integrated mm-hmm. and logic needs to be integrated into everything. So in my youth, I didn't formally study logic as well either. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I didn't study logic formally either. Uh, but the way I was raised and the, the way I was educated gave me a, a solid base in that. Sure. Right. Um, and, and so the, the idea then just taking it to that next step and, and formalizing it for a brief time in your education, I think is, is super helpful. And we, we actually offer a couple of logic courses and yep. that's one of the reasons we're, uh, we're, we're doing this episode, but yeah, check out our website, check out the, the logic courses that we have on there. Well, I just want to make one other plug as you made a really good point that sometimes you can, you can learn logic and, and pick up logic, um, you know, and ideally you would right. through other subjects and, and, and working with it. One, one of the things that students, we don't want people to get the ideas that are going to come away from a class and they have to remember the name of all the hundreds, right. hundreds of fallacies. That's not the point. It's when you begin to look at these and you kind of separate them, you take a time, kind of sanctify a time to look at all these different ways of, of, of being deceitful or being false then you begin to recognize it, you know, when when you see the advertisement, you know, or you see the, you know, hear the news article or, you know, the, uh, the lawyer's language or all the different kinds of ways that sophists try to confuse and and manipulate language and, and, and emotions in order to gain something on people. Right. Well, you know, one of the ways I learned logic in my youth was by reading C.S. Lewis. Oh yeah. Who talked about how logic works Mm -hmm. talked about, syllogisms and fallacies just worked into, you know, whatever it was he was talking about. Uh, and, you know, the, the only names of fallacies I remember are the ones I think are fun. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Chronological one hopes, snobbery. for example, exactly <laughs> yeah. a Lewis one. Um, 
but you know, one hopes uh, that then that becomes a, just a part of your makeup. Yeah, right? that's right. That's, that's that's the goal, not to have you be fifty years old and you know remember the genetic fallacy and what it was. But and so when you're fifty years old, to see that an argument is false and to understand why. Yeah. That's that's what matters. That's that's the important part. Okay, so if logic is important and that creates a particular part of our education, right? It, it develops a, 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 our, our, our rationality, our ability to reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's another one we were going to mention in here, and that is Latin. Latin. We're going to actually get to that. <laughs> say it that way. Uh, and we're going to come back and tie these together here in a minute. But why is Latin important to study? Well, I think Latin is is fascinating as, and, and there's debate about whether mm-hmm. Latin is important to study. And I think for a lot of people, for whom the debate is settled mm-hmm. uh, to the to the positive side, like we all we should all study Latin, uh, and I have no doubt of it. Uh, you know, they're often just there's just a lot of just you know swallowing the whole cow, yep. you know, with that right. So <laughs> oh, this is what classical education is. Classical education includes Latin, so we're going to dogmatically defend the study of Latin. But then when you try to get into the the true whys and the joyful whys, maybe yes, you know, like the like what are the positive reasons just for Latin itself. Mm-hmm. Why would I study Latin? I think sometimes that can be a little more lacking and there's a little more complexity there. Um, so joy is the word I try to use for that. Like, sure. is it awesome is an important part, but it's not the only part of, of the equation. I think that there's uh, one of the coolest things about Latin is the unique place that it holds in our Western heritage. Absolutely. Uh, and not, so it's, we often, people will often call Latin a dead language. You know, I would say it's not a dead language, but it's certainly a language with no native speakers. Mm-hmm. And it's a language that reaches across time, the language that never dies. Right? Yeah, I, I like the term static and dynamic. Uh-huh. Right? So English is a dynamic language because it's, we're in, it's in use right. and it's changing and, and morphing as, as we use it. But then because nobody speaks Latin in terms of a regular society, right. you know, it's static. Right? Re- re- well, relatively, right? Because, you know, of course there were changes and words that came in uh, during, during the medieval period, words that got assimilated. So there, there has been change, not only in pronunciation, but in vocabulary. But you're right, compared to every other language out there that people speak, you know, except for Esperanto, which is a <laughs> terrible chimera of a tongue. Um, the, the Latin is, is, is quite static, mm-hmm. which means that you can, you can reach across to Cicero or to Augustine or wherever and actually have a conversation. Right. 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 Which is, which is really wonderful. But there's also because of this dead versus alive static versus dynamic, this historical language, uh, this, you know, never dying language description of it, because it is, it is that way. That means that you can study it in a way that develops both the logic side of things. Mm -hmm. You can study it, in an almost sort of platonic purity. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you can study it as if it were alive. Right. Right. Yep. Which could, because it is. And so b- being able to do both those things means that like, if, if you are studying Spanish or German and you're studying the grammar of it, that's going to have, you know, it's knowledge for its own sake, which is beautiful. It's going to have a positive impact on your, on your mind. And that's great. You're going to, you're going to learn more about, uh, you know, people who are alien to you. That's wonderful too. All of those things are, are goods in and of themselves. But, the very practicality of learning the German grammar or the Spanish grammar is going to have a certain impact. Sure. And a, a different, a different kind of impact. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah. When you're studying Latin grammar, 
you know that its utility is profoundly in question. Yes. <laughs> you know you're studying something, something simply for the joy of it, simply for the betterment of your soul. And that changes the impact it has on you. And I think that, you know, it, it is a wonderful tool for developing logic uniquely. Latin, Latin is, a, is, a, is a, an unusual language in some ways, but that can't be what you hang your head on. What you hang your head on has to be the extravagance of studying Latin. Well, it's a lot like poetry in that way, right? The, yeah. there's, there's an extravagance. There, there is a, a kind of a superfluous in, in some people's mind because you, you said something early on in your you know, discussion of this that there is a, an argument um, within uh, classical education as to whether or not a modern language would serve the same purpose. And, right. you, and you gave the example of, of German. And so in the utility of, of learning a modern language, obviously you go to that country and speak it. Um, you could, you know, there's a lot of different things you could do, you apply it to a job or something in translation. Um, but then there is the, you know, the utility of what happens when you learn grammar of another language and the way that the, the etymologies come together and, and certain word pictures, you know, begin yep. to, to form in your mind. But, but I would push, you know, I personally, I would push into the corner that Latin is important for a classical education um, for the joy of it, most yeah. certainly. But then there's a, a, a sort of secondary joy where you can, if you, if you learn Latin and, you can get into some of the texts of, of the medieval period or mm -hmm. even back into the, the classical period that aren't usually accessible to most English speaking people who haven't right. learned, learned another Latin language. And that's what I mean by reaching across time. Yeah. Right. You know, so <clears throat> if you love history, you should love studying Latin. Yeah. Right? If you love philosophy, you should love studying Latin. Um, you know, it's, if we accept uh, the, the arguments of, of those who say that, um, Latin should be on an equal or even less than equal footing with other modern languages within classical education, then Latin would be relegated to those who know that they want to academically devote their lives to, say, patristics or classical mm -hmm. studies yeah. or history, right? Uh, so you go into the National Library of Spain and, you know, you can read a letter from, you know, someone in Spain to someone in Germany that was written in Latin. Okay, great. Um, and and who, who knows that in high school? Right. You know, no, nobody does. Um, but if, you know, if you read history or acknowledge that the reading of history ought to be important, then the studying of Latin, uh, ought to be important as well, because it'll, it'll, it'll connect us across time and it will connect us to the great breadth of Western Christianity. And most of the people listening to this podcast are going to be Western Christians. Now, what we can't get from that is the necessity of studying Latin. Right. Right. But I actually, I don't think studying Latin is necessary. I think studying Latin is good. It is a good, but and not necessary. Yeah, right. I, I agree with you. And, and so, but, but you know, how much of a good is it? Is it gooder than studying German? <laughs> <laughs> and I would say that if you have to pick one or the other, yes, it is gooder. There you go. Yeah, there, <laughs> Clip that audio, Cooper. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, the idea of using, you know, the word good in a gooder, you know, technical <laughs> sense uh, is, is phenomenal because we do have to make priority decisions in our education. Right. right? And, and sometimes, you know, maybe it would make sense for somebody to take German or a, or a different language. And that's, that's perfectly fine. You're going to get a lot of the, not only the joy, but you're going to get a lot of the, you know, uh, learning the grammar and the declensions and all the things that come with learning a language. This it, is the part where I mentioned that I do teach Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Spanish. Uh, 
check out Joffrey's Spanish class. Um, and you, you, there's something that happens in your mind and the way you begin to think about things. And, yes. and I realize that there's certain developments, even in my own in, in my own life, as I begin to learn other languages, mm-hmm. and, and um, you know, even reading the New Testament, as you, uh, you know, I'm teaching a biblical Greek one class for students, uh, and that's a lot of fun um, because you begin to see certain things come into view that you wouldn't see just by reading your native language. That's right. Yeah. So, so Latin and logic. Now we, we said at the very beginning of the show that each of these sort of, I mean, they're complementary, uh, but they, uh, along with other subjects, but they kind of build maybe a little bit different parts of the mind or the way we think about things, you know, not, not different sides of the brain, but I mean, of the mind. So before we get into that, um, Let's, we'll just remind the audience that the reason we're, we're talking about logic and Latin is that the, those are two subjects that are associated with sort of this pure ideal of what classical education is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet they sometimes seem to us to be like, like do, do I have to accept the whole package as presented by so-and-so to buy into studying logic or buy into studying Latin? And what we've been trying to do is to tell you that studying logic is a good thing and a beautiful thing and, and, and the same for Latin. That's why it's always there in those, in those classical programs. And that's why we always offer it. I just want to comment before I go in there, how gracious you are to the audience, <laughs> because I get into the tunnel vision, like, all right, let's move on to the next thing here. Uh, and Joffrey's like, Hey, wait, a hey, second. I'm thinking about you. Yeah, he is. He's always thinking about you. So when we think of the, the, the ration, you know, um, uh, the rational side uh, of, I, I think, the word ratio, you know, when mm-hmm. we're developing that side of the mind, uh, and, and I'm talking about the mind here, I'm not talking about the brain. So mm. I'm not talking about left brain, right brain. I'm talking about the kinds of cognition, the kinds of ways our mind uh, learns and knows things. And logic brings one kind where language brings another kind, yes. right? And we've been talking about Latin as a language, but all languages do this in one uh, brings the the ratio. The other, maybe what we might call a more poetic kind of knowledge, right? Yes, and but in a way that has a lot of overlap. Yeah, which is which is pretty wonderful, and that's how we should be being educated in an overlapping, integrated way. But yeah, I I completely agree with that, and that's that sort of shows that that's an example of what we want our objective in educating our children to be. Right, so we want. We want our children to be fully human, to yes. be mature men and women. And that means that rational knowledge and poetic knowledge must be in balance. Not only in balance, because they could be anemic and in balance. They must be in balance and they must be robust. robust. Yes, robust and in balance. Well, and I think that's because, you know, since the Cartesian revolution, since we've got this enlightenment period, we almost dismiss poetic knowledge as, right. as unessential and, you know, superfluous, you know, and, and we said in a certain way it is, um, but I think there is a way to being human that without that kind of poetic knowledge that we, we miss growing up fully into our humanity as, as we read. Right. But let me, let me read a, uh, a quote here um, from, uh, this is from James Taylor, his book on poetic knowledge. He says, poetic knowledge is a kind of natural every man's metaphysics of common experience. It is a way of restoring the definition of reality to mean knowledge of the seen and unseen. And I think what language does is, Language is symbols, language is sounds that represent ideas, concepts, um, 
it, it, it represents ways of seeing uh, the, the world. And so learning language in one sense, this is the robust way or one of the ways that we learn poetic knowledge. Yes. And not just studying the grammar, right? Because anybody could, you know, you could uh, diagram a sentence or, or know what the declensions are, or memorize the, the endings, but to actually be able to interact with it in a way that is meaningful. Right. You know, so this is completely irreverent enough to the side, but when you said James Taylor, it was very hard not to start singing <laughs> fire and rain. Uh, but you, you mentioned the word superfluous. Uh, Different James Just a Taylor. moment ago, yes. Uh, and, you know, I, I've mentioned on this podcast before that I do have a pet logical fallacy, mm-hmm. right, the etymological fallacy. Uh, I just I like to have fun with words, um, and, and the etymological fallacy is to define a term by what it used to mean instead of how it's used today, ah. right? Which is totally cheating. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, superfluous used to mean extravagant. Ah, okay. You know, and then our, our utilitarian mindset cut that word down because extravagance is not generosity anymore. Mm. Now extravagance is waste. Right, but let's be generous with our education. So you're saying superfluous is a better word than extravagant or not? Well, <laughs> see, I'm admitting it's a logical fallacy. Uh, let's go with generous, okay? But I'm just trying to illustrate how our, our mindset has changed yeah. with, you know, this, you know, post-Cartesian thinking uh, is, is very poor. Yeah. You know, poor, not as in just in bad quality, but poor as in it's just reduction. lacking. Yeah, it's reductionist in, in, in a sense. Well, there's a, a question um, that we were talking about uh, before the podcast that um, uh, Caldecott asks about uh, education. Mm. And um, we don't want to get too too far into it. I'm looking for the quote right here. Um, but basically, he asked the question about the kind of education that allows a child to maintain a poetic and, and natural understanding of the world mm. while still progressing in a, in a rational understanding of the world. So that these two things, like you were talking about, are complementary. Right. And I would argue the reason that Latin and logic always show up in an, a liberal arts education is because a liberal arts education is what is bringing these two things together. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and not just Latin and in language or Latin and, and I'm sorry, in logic, uh, but all of the components to a liberal arts education. Right. And, and there's a lot of components. Yeah. Yeah, right. there are. We just saying, you know, logic and Latin just do is such a great example of, uh, they are such a great example to help us visualize you know why it is the way it is yeah absolutely and and so when when we could even add art to this we could even add art because the fact that art has this sort of universal experience and it's immediate in terms of developing the poetic you know our diploma track requires so diploma you know the diploma track at kepler works in such a way that you know basically all the classes all the formal education uh that the child does is through kepler classes Mm -hmm. right so it's, it's very complete uh, most families use us in an a la carte sort of fashion, but with a diploma track, if you go through all four years of high school, you will study astronomy mm-hmm. and you will study music. Excellent. Because we want humans. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Uh, and art and, yeah. you know, humanities and, and we could go on and on, but, but you're going to study both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to say a spectrum that the modern world yeah, see, has created. Yeah, yeah. You see, just realize that you, yeah. you know what? We're both modern men. We can't help it. <laughs> These are the categories of thought, you know, that we, we've been trained to. But you know, a human being, you know, should be able to look at the stars and enjoy them, and and be able to enjoy music as yes. well, right? Because both of them are a kind of harmony. 
Amen, my brother. Yeah, there they are. Well, thank you for talking about these uh, topics, logic and Latin, and our listeners. Um, I hope you will come by Kepler Education and check out our logic and Latin classes. And school starts here pretty soon. Yeah, very soon. I'm putting out a series of, of uh, videos on, on social media and on our Slack group to the students to sort of remind them of all the little things they need to do to prepare for class, uh, such as, you know, buying their school supplies and their books. Uh, but also, you know, finishing their summer reading, making sure they get, they've gotten enough naps. It's yeah. that time of year. <laughs> <laughs> that time of year. You should add one that they should listen to the consortium podcast. Ooh, Ooh that's done. a good one. <laughs> Hi, kids. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take care, everybody. So long. <laughs>